0: With how I built the business, that panic selling doesn't exist. It just doesn't. And the only time it will ever exist is if a client is backed against the wall, they have a real estate deal, they have to sell something early, you know, that's a whole where something just came up. Other than that, I don't really deal with that.
1: This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will teach you how to build wealth with real estate without buying yourself another job. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Rich Kasparian. Today, we're having a slightly different conversation. We're really digging into the topic of risk and understanding our personal risk tolerances and profiles. Rich is a financial advisor who works with busy professionals, high net worth families, small business owners, and many others. Today, we're digging into this topic of risk and understanding how we can assess our own risk tolerance, mistakes that we might make when determining our own level of risk tolerance, and so much more. We also talk about small business owners and preparing for retirement. I see so many small business owners who are not prepared to retire, and it's because of a few key mistakes that they made along the way. So we're going to dig into that as well. Rich has a wealth of experience, and he had a pretty major change in his life as a result of the Great Recession. So we get that perspective as well. It's a fantastic conversation. You're dedicated to building wealth and understanding your own risk tolerance, which is very important for all investors. This is a conversation to tune into. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lopes. I'm a real estate investor. I focus on multifamily and self-storage investing to date have acquired, partnered on, or had a hand in over $250 million of commercial real estate acquisitions. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us in a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com or click the link in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every weekday. Now, let's get with Rich. Rich, thank you for joining us today. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and what you do, can you tell us about what you're up to today and then what happened in 2009?
0: Sure. Uh, thanks for uh, having me, uh, Taylor. I really appreciate it. So I was with a you know large firm for many years. And in 2000, and I was actually Citigroup, and in 2009, sort of everything was collapsing around us. And at that point, Company stock was $55. It went to a dollar and seven eighths. You know, n- nobody knew what was going on. It was the, f- the financial crisis. And at that point, I basically decided to take my business independent. And I've been doing that for the last 14 years. My, my company is Garden City Financial Group. We clear through a company called LPL, which is the largest independent brokerage firm in the country. And it was, you know, it was a very good move because, you know, it, it provided customers with sort of independent advice, clearing through a major firm, and on sort of the road back. My business is mostly dependent on protecting investments. So, we, you know, we look for the upside, always looking for the upside and the upsides in the business and in the economy and the market, but we look to protect customers' downsides as well.
1: So Warren Buffett's first two two rules of investing: rule number one, don't lose money. Rule number two, refer to rule number one. So I'd like All to right. start today with talking about understanding our risk tolerances as investors and the steps we can take to, you know, get to understand our risk tolerance. How do you approach that conversation with your clients and people that you're working with regarding risk tolerance?
0: So, in the traditional conversation of risk tolerance, there's in the financial industry, there's always sort of these canned questions. You know, are you the type of person that if you look online and your statement's available, you open up the file or you don't? You know, there's a, how should we allocate this portfolio between bonds and equities? If the market goes down this much How do you feel about it? There's sort of a lot of these sort of canned or emotional type questions. One of the things I do sort of to kind of cut to to the chase is is see what people's cash position is, what they feel comfortable, what they want to have in the bank account so that they know that at any point, if something happens, they can access cash. So unfortunately, in in my business, a, a lot of advisors work sort of in reverse. So a customer had $100,000 to invest, you know, a lot of advisors are going to give them advice on how to invest 99,000 of it, okay? What I typically will do is I say, okay, you you say that you have this money kind of sitting around, how much of that money do you want to keep in the bank or keep in a checking account that if something happens? And the reason I do this is, one, it, it sort of gives me a sense of their risk tolerance because what you will find is you'll have that person who it's that 100,000 and they really wanna keep half to three quarters of it in the bank. And then you have the other person who'll say, no, I'm good with 25 in the bank. And then what I always do is I'll, t- I'll take it up up a notch. Well, I'll, I'll suggest they even keep some more cash available, you know, and then they might have other means, but I'm just bringing that up. So once I sort of get a feel on that, then we could sort of dive in to asking the basic questions You know, how they feel overall about the market, how they feel overall about the ups and downs of the market, and we sort of take it from there. Like I said, back in the old days, they used the formulas. Well, if I'm this age, then I have this much in equity. If I'm this age, then I have this much in stocks and bonds. Those are okay assumptions, but it's not always so fitting based on risk risk tolerance. That might be good for allocation purposes, but not necessarily for risk tolerance. So I think sort of the getting sort of to the emotional and getting sort of to the point of how much do you want liquid, and then we can go from there and then start discussing things further.
1: Do you find that the idea of risk in a portfolio on the investor's perspective is treated differently as they reach higher and higher net worths, comparing someone who has, say, a $100,000 net worth to someone who has a five or ten million dollar net worth, do they think about risk differently in terms of what they're willing to accept as risk and their perspective on risk in the long term versus short term?
0: I think it's predicated on an individual situation. I've seen, you know, very high net worth customers I deal with that want no risk. And you would say in your mind, you would say, hey, you're worth 25, 30, 40 million. And you want no risk. You know, like in your mind, you're saying, you know, what's going on here? And then you'll have people who are not worth anywhere near that who want more risk. So I think it's, it's almost like a personal thing. It's almost like an emotional situation. And, you know, it's also how their wealth, where it came from. So I guess if they, you know, if they built it, they grinded it out, they went through some rough periods, even if they built a big amount of wealth they might be you know might not want a lot of risk so is really i can't put a, a real finger on it varies from in every income category okay
1: so i'd like to dig into like where we make mistakes or where you see people make mistakes in terms of assessing their own risk tolerances i would expect that you know it's more of a problem if you overestimate your risk tolerance and take more risk than you're really comfortable with in the long run, but you didn't know it in the first place. So how do you see that happening in terms of people misunderstanding their own risk tolerance in their investment?
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a really good question because I'll give you an example. I I guess it was last year. It was sort of, remember the market spiked at the end of 21. So like the Dow was at 36 and change, I think it was November, December of 21, roughly timeframe. And Then the market pulled back dramatically. But the interesting thing was last year, so did bond funds dramatically. So bond funds that really, when you buy a bond fund, a mutual fund, the goal of that fund really is to not move at all and just have those dividends sort of coming in, you know, whatever the dividend percentage is. But that didn't happen. So anyone, as an example, here's a was some common mistakes I saw in people's 401ks. Because what we do is we'll, you know, even though we don't manage a 401k, we'll often say to a customer, hey, let us review your 401k at work so we could kind of see how you're allocated. And what we find is a lot of them quickly flipped over into bond funds last year. And when they did, there were a lot of bond funds down 15% last year, which is kind of unheard of. But that was the yield curve scenario where, you know, yields, interest rates are going up, bond portfolios go down, and that was it all. So that was a big mistake. That was sort of a jump So last year was not a year where you could just say, hey, the market's not doing so great. I'm just going to move into bonds. That was a big mistake for a lot of people. A lot of other mistakes when it comes to risk tolerance and or allocation people make, and I see this all the time, what I'll do is I'll say to, you know, a client. How did you arrive at these funds in your 401k? So the 401k let's say has 25 different funds. It's in Fidelity, it's in Alliance, it's in you know any any number of companies. Well, honestly, yeah, well this one said growth and this one said growth and in income and this one said mid-cap, and this one said international and so they kind of did the dartboard thing, you know, you, you just kind of shoot at the dots. And what I'll do sometimes is we'll actually go through the top holdings in those funds. And what we end up finding is most of those funds, especially in the large space, they all own the same stocks. So you have a large cap, you have a growth, you have a blend, you know, you have a core, and they all own the Amazon. They all own Google. They all own Microsoft. So the names are different of the funds, but now you have major, major overlap. So that's it. That's something that we really kind of dig down. And unless you kind of know what to look for and you, you're drilling down and looking at the top 10 holdings on everything, it's it's hard for the average person actually to want to really do that. But those are two sort of things right off the bat, the flight to bonds last year and and really digging down and looking at a portfolio and saying, am I really diversified? Okay.
1: So as a real estate investor myself, I think I have a different idea of liquidity and its advantage slash disadvantages, and what I mean by that is, and this is illustrated by your most recent example, is that when stocks and bonds move quickly, people tend to get a little bit panicked and make kind of a quick decision that, in the long run, is not ideal. Whereas real estate, when things are struggling a little bit, well, it's going to take us a couple of months to sell our property, so we have. An incentive to try to, you know, make it work and gut it out or figure out a solution so that illiquidity can be an advantage in certain lights right. because we can't click that button and panic sell. But in publicly traded securities, they're always going to be liquid. That's just the nature of it. We can sell it right either immediately or, you know, later in the day, depending on how we want to get it done. So how do you, you know, approach that conversation with the people that you provide advice to and talk them out of making those panic decisions if, you know, it's appropriate for the situation.
0: Well, in the examples I'm giving, these are sort of examples of investments that the clients sort of have on their own. So again, that 401k, that's why we always encourage clients or customers to, you know, send us the 401k statement so we can help it. What we do though, overall, is... The programs that our clients are in mostly sort of get, you know, work around that. So most of the programs that our clients are invested in have some sort of protection in market downturns. Let's just say, for sake of argument, the S&P or the Russell 2000. Market goes up, you get, you know, you get some really nice upside. Market goes down in some of these programs, you'll have either complete protection Or you'll have what we call buffered protection, which is a percentage that you take, you know, there's a cushion there. In these programs, once clients understand these types of programs, the market's crashing and burning, the phone does not ring. And that's the most important sort of thing. In fact, we'll reach, we always reach out, I always reach out to clients and, you know, in in bad markets, even though their investments are generally protected just still kind of let them know what's going on and then re-explain or re-educate how those protections work. So fortunately, with how I built the business, we really don't have that pan- That panic selling doesn't exist. It just doesn't. And the only time it will ever exist is if a client is backed against a the wall, they have a real estate deal, they have to sell something early. You know, that's a whole where something just came up. Other than that, I don't really deal with that.
1: That's good. Through setting things up properly, and then educating clients. Education right. is, is huge in investing. So now let's talk about the small business owner side of things. This is a problem that I've grown more aware of over the years as I've you know built relationships with more small business owners and how few of them are really prepared to retire. It's a shockingly low number. Why is that?
0: You know, it's kind of the old saying, you know, working in your business instead of on your business. I think there's a lot of that going on. And then working in their business and not on themselves. You know, that, that's a whole other issue. I just think it's sort of that day-to-day, they get up, it's their business, you know, they, they're in the office or they're on a site and they're just doing their thing. And I think so, and even if they have good people around them, doing things for them, they're not really always thinking about retirement. They're not thinking about, hey, do I have a SEP IRA set up for the business or a simple IRA set up for the business where I could put money in every year and have it tax deferred towards my retirement? I'm in a partnership. Do I have a buy-sell agreement arrangement? Which is important because that's one, one of the things I do where you know what'll happen is in, in a partnership, You'll have two partners, for example, and they'll have an insurance policy on each of them. And then what basically happens is with a buy-sell agreement, if, if one of them passed away, that money from insurance goes to the family. You know, a lot of business partners don't want, you know, a family member just sitting in the chair the next day if something happens. So they make these arrangements. So that's one thing, long-term care or long-term disability. Some of them don't, they're not thinking in that light because I think they're just thinking on the business day to day to day. And the biggest problem I really see in a lot of small businesses is they, they're just not putting any money away for their retirement. You, you know, it's just sort of, they don't want to write that check, you know, whether it's at the end of the year or have it come out of the, the account. Or they don't really want to set up a plan for the employees because then they're obligated to put money in for the, you know, and I'm talking like really small businesses, now. you know, I'm, you know, where less than fifteen, twenty employees, where they just don't want to do it. But I think those are the main issues.
1: Okay, so a lot of it seems to boil down to awareness of their options and kind of willingness to make the investment. Do you find that, you know, they tend to Plan on retiring through selling their businesses and getting that liquidity event and then figuring it out all in the back end? I mean, is that kind of a common mistake that they tend to make?
0: Yeah, I think in the past, I would say yes. I think now, in fact, I've had just recently had a conversation with a client about a business he was looking to sell. And some of the businesses, especially like in construction, landscaping, these types of businesses, they're not as easy to sell anymore as they used to be. You know, in fact, the conversation I had with this particular customer, you know, he he was just basically saying if he had sold it a few years ago, he would have gotten a lot more than he would now. And a lot of it is because there's, you know, there's a lot of competition in those sorts of industries now. A lot of more people on the street, a lot more people who have workers out and doing a lot of business. So I think more in the past, I knew someone also who had a uh, like a route. And even, even in that sort of, it was, oh, the route was easy. I should have sold it years ago. So I think that's sort of an icing on the cake. So whatever they could get for their business. Now, if it's a really big business, you know, 100 plus employees, you know, like what I would call a big, small business, 200 plus employees, that's a different story. But I think for the, you know, the normal Real small business, 10 employees, they really need to plan for retirement.
1: Okay. So before we go to the three questions I ask every guest in the show, I'd like to ask your opinion on the status of the economy today. You had a pretty serious personal and professional experience back in 2009, breaking away from your previous employer. And a lot of our listeners are in their 20s and you know weren't paying attention at that time because they right. were too young. So what's your thought today as we kick off 2024?
0: I mean, my thought is right now we're we're in a little bit of a, I guess the word is odd. We're in, <laughs> we're in sort of an odd time where, you know, they tell us that the inflation rate is 4.1, but we go to the store and everything seems like it's up 20%. We're in sort of this odd time. You know, and people do have to understand that a lot of the numbers we see, unemployment and and, and inflation they're not real numbers they're if you really dig down into the numbers like inflation, they're phony numbers they, they're just not it's a basket of you know commodities or a basket of services, and if one is up too high, they pull it out and put another one in. So those are the things here. but on the flip side, now we have a run in the market so in one respect, we have bad economic inflation some bad things going on out there. But then we got a report that inflation dropped and GDP just went through the roof. And now we have a sort of a run in the markets. So I think the market's always been this way. There's just more information out. And people are asking more questions now than they ever have. I I think whether you're 20 or you're 30 or you're 50 or, or beyond that or in retirement age, I think you just always have to face a portfolio is I want to take risk, but what is my downside? or is there a way to even protect some of it? And I think that's important really at every age. and you know that's one of the things we we really do promote. But I think there's a look, there's a lot of problems in the world, there's wars, there's all this stuff going on, but there's always been that. <laughs> on the flip side. we always have these issues over the years, and somehow that Dow ends up higher. you know. So those are the things you have to look at.
1: I appreciate that perspective. I totally agree that things kind of have always been this way. They might look a little different from time to time, yeah. but at the end of the day, 20 years ago, we didn't know what the market was going to look like 19 years ago, if you will. Right. We just happened to have that backward looking information now, but at the time, right. nobody knew. Right? There's always been this future is unknown condition, and it's always going to be that way. We just have more information about it now than we used to. More chatter. Right. Nice. Well, right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Rich, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. Great. First one, what is your number one book recommendation?
0: I recently read a book called The Indispensables. It was, it's about the American Revolution. And it was really sort of, the, sort of the backstory of some of the people in the American Revolution and what they went through. And like a lot of things, we, we just sort of don't know and take for granted. That sort of the, the battle on how they did it with so few of the population really being behind it. Like we always had this perspective that, oh, uh, during the revolution, you know, 90% of the people were in favor of it. That wasn't the truth. Half of the people were loyalists, and then there was a, then there was really just a small amount of people that that you know helped in the revolution. So that's a good book.
1: Yeah, and speaking of just earlier in our conversation, they didn't know what was going to happen at the time. They didn't know how things right. were going to shake out, but we
0: do know
1: now. Exactly. Question number two: Who or what inspires you?
0: I just think you know, overall, you know, family, kids, wife, you know, things of that nature. I like to read or, or listen to positive podcasts, you know, podcasts like yours. Those are sort of the things, you know. And I'm sort of like, you know, just go to the beach and just clear your head. I'm like real simple like that. It's, I don't, I don't need, you know, Tony Robbins 24 hours a day to get me motivated. I'm a motivated person. Nice.
1: Question number three think about yourself at 80 years old. What does Rich at 80 have to say to Rich of today?
0: Um, I think the rich of 80 would say, you know, even 80, keep doing your thing, keep working, stay positive, do the right thing. And that's about it. That kind of stumped me a little bit.
1: It's a tough <laughs> question. It's hard to think yeah. what we might yeah.
0: think at 80, but uh, I think yeah. it's
1: worth thinking about. Yeah. Rich, thank you for joining us and sharing this knowledge. If folks want to get in touch, where can they find you?
0: Sure. You can go to GardenCityFinancialGroup.com. We, we are located in Long Island, New York, but we service customers throughout the whole country. We're on LinkedIn. We're on Instagram. We have a YouTube channel. So, you know, Facebook, you can find us in many places.
1: Great. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every weekday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you on the next one.